Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Voices of World Christianity podcast. My name is Thieu. I am Nuam. And today we are joined by Alex Chow, who will be discussing with us digital theology and world Christianity. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And congratulations for being the first guest featured for our podcast. Alex, could you say a few words of introduction, please? Uh, well, um, I'm Alex Chow. I'm a senior lecturer in theology and world Christianity at uh, the School of Divinity, University of Edinburgh. I'm also the co-director for the Center for the Study of World Christianity. Um, also, uh, with this topic, uh, it's perhaps useful to know that uh, I also was had a former life uh, for about 10 years. I worked in the software industry. Uh, I was a software engineer um, for about a decade before my uh, 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 transition into academia, uh, theological studies. Great. Thanks for that introduction. I think we'll just go right into the topic uh, for today and uh, why don't you just explain to us a bit on what is digital theology and how did you uh, get interested in this topic? Well, uh, I guess uh, digital theology uh, in a nutshell, I would say, is um, faith-seeking understanding in a digital age. Okay, so so why do I say that? You know, faith-seeking understanding, that's a very uh, common way of describing theology. It's uh, the, uh, the the inquiry of, of those of Christian faith, um, wanting to seek to understand better how God and the world interact. Um, and in particular, um, it, it's digital theology looks at theology with an inflection towards the digital. So that is um, with the internet, with uh, smartphones, with, with all sorts of devices that we have all around us. Uh, so, so the digital um, age that introduces a new, um, if you will, a new context for thinking about theology. So, um, yeah, that, that's uh, more or less uh, uh, how I would describe digital theology. And, mm. and how did I get into it? Um, I mean, I think, uh, as I sort of suggested uh, earlier on, uh, my, my background as an engineer, when I was you know, working as an engineer, I was often um, struck by the ways that, uh, that software and computers um, affected the ways that we thought about things. And that there was a negotiation between how people interact with technology and that the technology interacts with us, actually. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and so from, from, an, uh, from my earlier career, um, there was an intrigue about what it meant uh, to be a Christian in that, uh, with, with that mindset, right? And how does Christianity um, change can it change? Can it be affected? Can our perceptions of uh, the Christian faith, Christian rituals, uh, Christian practices, uh, um, Christian understanding be affected by um, the digital? And so, so that's that's what started me me thinking about um, these types of questions. But it was really uh, for for a long time, you know, I, I kind of shelved that. Uh, much of my focus was on. As um, as many uh, people do, uh, focused on uh, my my PhD research, on my you know academic work, um, uh, in particular in, in Chinese Christianity, but world Christianity more generally. Um, and it's only very recently that I've uh, uh, dipped my toe back into the digital uh, arena. 
So would you say that this is a field that's now becoming more and more expansive or has this kind of idea of about theology and digitality, has that been around for a while? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. Um, digital theology as, as a term um, mm-hmm. is a fairly new term. Um, it's uh, many of the people who have been involved in, in coining the term and using the term uh, uh, are related to um, the Center for Digital Theology in the University of Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the term in many ways is uh, a modification, if you will, of the term digital religion. And digital religion is a maybe a longer standing uh, field of inquiry, um, which is much more of a anthropological or sociological analysis of digitality and religion. And, and, and digital religion as a field is actually drawing from sort of media studies. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of building in an intersection of anthropology and media studies into digital religion. But if we think about it, you know, the question of how uh, Christian theology is inflected by the digital, that that is in many ways, um, you know, is, is as long as we've had digital technologies, right? Mm-hmm. But in fact, if we think about it even farther, we could consider that it's an extension of um, how Christians wrestle with technology, and if we if we talk about technology, then we could talk about not only computers, but like a pencil, yeah. right? A, mm-hmm. a pen and paper, a book, you know, these are technologies, you know, um, uh, a temple, a tabernacle, these are technologies, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's a question of what, how do we understand um, uh, different uh, uh, instruments, different artifacts that affect our engagement with uh, God or Christianity? That's so interesting that you say that, because actually earlier in preparation for this podcast, I was listening to a um, a lecture given by Dr. Hannah Reichel, apologies if I mispronounce her name, and she was kind of making the connection between the psalmist who talked about how, you know, God, you formed me in my, um, in my mother's womb, you know, the number of hairs on my head, you, there's nowhere on earth that I can escape your gaze, and how are questions nowadays of um, surveillance, privacy, technology, how massive companies such as Google, et cetera, et cetera, know every aspect of ourselves. Those are the kind of questions that is being asked or these are the kind of issues that's being talked about in the Hebrew Bible, which is a really kind of talks about how theologians have been wrestling with these ideas for such a long time. All right. So uh, I think in this uh, remainder of the podcast, we want to talk about how digitality and digital culture um, accentuate and enable, and I think, I guess, in some ways, complicate the uh, world Christianity, the plurality, the multiplicity, and the polycentric nature of world Christianity. And so I guess my question would be, you you talked about the connection between digital technology and theology. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about uh, the connections between digital technology and world Christianity? Yeah, I think the connections between uh, digital technology and world Christianity uh, is is an interesting one, Uh, partly because uh, if you look at the the scholarship on digital theology or digital religion, uh, much of it is uh, dominated on sort of Western case studies. Okay, so so that's 
maybe a, a basic starting point of everything world Christianity, right? <laughs> so, so much of world Christianity is, well, you haven't covered X, right? <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, th- th- that's, that's true also about um, digital theology that, um, uh, and digital religion. I mean, uh, much of the studies uh, are, are focused in North America or in, um, in Europe. Um, there, there's increasing amount of scholarship looking at Asia uh, in particular, and as well as uh, Africa and Latin America, but but it's 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 still um, a, a fledgling um, sort of uh, inquiry. Um, but mindful of that, you know that that does raise the question: Well, wh- what is unique about um, world Christianity? Why do we need to look at these other contexts? You know, for to begin with, right? Um, and and how does that change? Um, the interface with digital technologies. Um, I mean, I, I think one thing, a, a very simple thing, is that underlying all these different societies are different cultural assumptions. And how do these cultural assumptions then translate into the digital, right? So if you have a, um, you know, let, let's say a, a, a Western society, let's say a Western middle-class uh, population, and you're doing um, studies on how um, this this population interacts with online church or um, digital Bibles or, or things like this, right? Um, th- that may may have a slightly different type of a uh, feel to it when you're looking at a context like uh, in in certain parts of Asia, okay, where there may be a little bit more of a, a collectivist orientation that that shapes a different understanding of what church means. Mm-hmm. And therefore, how the digital uh, transforms that. So, so it, it starts to complicate the picture of what um, the digital um, and Christian interface uh, looks like. Um, but also, um, another aspect of it is is that um, one of the hallmarks of the study of world Christianity is this question of migration. Mm-hmm. Right. So people move. Right. And, and you know, um, Andrew Walls, uh, this, uh, the founder for the Center for Study of World Christianity, um, you know, he talks about the uh, the uh, how world Christianity initially grew because of the great European migration. Right. So people's moving from Europe into all these other contexts. And then in recent days, he's been he, he, he's written about um, the great reverse migration. Okay, which is about uh, majority world Christians moving into Western contexts, and these flows of people in different direction um, are, in, in in many ways, um, you know, they're they're connected, but but somewhat in in um, uh, their connection is a little bit tenuous in 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 many ways. But with the advent of digital technologies, mm. now the interconnectivity of people across space Mm. is so much um faster right it's not just sending a telegram right or sending a a a a postal uh, letter or something like that it's uh it's actually you know i just sent a whatsapp message and you know a prayer request or or um you know and a word of encouragement to or a blessing to somebody so so there's Mm. there's that inner connectivity aspect and um, the social cohesion that is supported also by the digital technology. With, with that, that, you know, la- latter part, I, I think that that actually uh, highlights, um, you know, one of the uh, hallmarks of not only world Christianity, but also digital technologies 
mm-hmm. that if we are spanning now and, and able to connect and communicate with people across the mm-hmm. world, right? How does that shape our understanding of um, Christianity, okay, on the one hand, or, um, you know, uh, somebody who is a migrant, let's say, from, uh, from China to the U.S., you know, what is Chinese Christianity now? It's no longer limited to a specific locale, which is, right. which is actually quite a, a remarkable idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the sense of identity is now um, uh, undergirded by this technology that connects us. And it's not even that it's no longer, you know, specified to a specific location. It's doesn't, in some cases, it doesn't even have a location at all, right? It's beyond yeah. in the virtual, in the digital, in the, in, in the realm that we can't physically locate. Um, I'm sure you will have churches that are entirely online, that don't have yeah. a building, that don't have a, a, a sense of in-person community to talk about and that kind of really changes the way we talk about what does it mean to be church what does it mean to be community what does it mean to be a a body of christ when Mm -hmm. the physical body is no longer you know identifiable and to and pinpoint being able to be pinpointed to a location could you chat about how this have been highlighted in the age day and age of COVID 19 I think that's a great question, uh, too, about uh, COVID-19. I mean, the, the pandemic, of course, uh, for so many people, um, you know, you, uh, you know the, the announcement in the UK was announced on, I think it was uh, like a, a Wednesday or something like that. You know, it, it was like middle of the week, you're shutting down everything. Everything's locked down. And then by Sunday, you have to figure out what are we going to do? Okay. We can't go to the building. Okay. Scramble. Okay. Figure out. <laughs> What is the best technology? What's the free technology? What's the, uh, what, you know, how many people can we, you know, oh, Zoom has a limit of how many minutes, you know, if it's free. And, you know, it's, it's like, what are the security implications of this? And all of a sudden, um, so many churches, and I, I would not say all churches, okay, but so many churches are uh, forced to now utilize uh, digital technologies or cease to exist, in effect. And that is actually quite a stark, um, you know, uh, idea. Um, and so with COVID-19, obviously, many uh, churches uh, quickly switched online. Um, what does that mean? You know, was it was a streaming, you know, it, to, to figure out all the technology around streaming a church service um, is, is complex by itself? Um, or is it uh, we pre-record a video or an audio file and we upload it to YouTube or a podcast or something like that. And then, you know, we'll just hold out until we can physically meet one, you know, face to face. But then, you know, as the pandemic, you know, seems to be longer and longer, right? Because, you know, there was a, a time in which in, in, in so many contexts, we were thinking, oh, you know, it's, it's going to die down and all this, mm-hmm. you know, th- oh, actually, we're, we're in here a little bit longer than we expected, um, you know, we were holding off certain activities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do we understand um, communion, for instance? You know, this this is actually a, a hugely contested question a about what is question. communion. Yeah. What is communion and how do we practice it? Can we practice it mm-hmm. online or not? Right. And what does that mean? And, and you know, certain churches had a very um, emphatic position on that. Other churches did not. Uh one of the things I would say with COVID-19, though, is that with the, the shift to um, an online presence of the church, um, that was very reactionary. 
right? Mm. And so it, in, in many ways, a lot of the studies that were conducted prior to COVID-19 were based on people who in, in some way had a consideration, do we choose to use digital technologies or not? I wonder the the difference in the reaction or response to adopting digitality would I, I suspect there, there might be a distinction in the way virtual versus real or material is uh, perceived, right? Yeah, I think um, oftentimes you hear this uh, distinction between uh, what is virtual versus uh, what is real or you know uh, what is what is true about things. So is it a virtual church or a true a real church or what 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 is it? You know mm-hmm. what what is actually happening, right? And and I think. Um, Part of the challenge um, comes uh, on a semantic level. That is, you know, how how we use the words um, "virtual" in particular, right? And in many ways, uh, the the way that that um, we often use the term "virtual" uh, today is uh, connected to computer technology and um, this idea of um, uh, a simulation of some sort, right? So, so a computer, some computers have uh, computers use something called virtual memory, you know, which is uh, using, you know, trying to ad- adapt uh, certain types of memory for uh, purposes uh, that it wasn't originally meant for, and and is kind of simulating a different type of memory mm-hmm. for the computer. Um, there's, uh, I mean, I could go into all sorts of computer science things like virtual functions and virtual machines and, and so forth. But but all this is is really about this simulating or or trying mm-hmm. to um, do something that that seems like it is acting uh, as as the real thing, but it's not, right? Mm-hmm. So it's fake in mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the challenge is that this understanding of the virtual. Uh, from a computer science sense, is is quite different from how the word virtual has historically meant. Okay, mm-hmm. and and you know we 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 get it actually from the scholastic period. Uh, you know, medieval period. Scholastic uh, theologian John Duns Scotus is is using this this idea of the virtual, talking about different metaphysical understandings of existence. Okay, so it, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a, comp, a, a complex philosophical idea of what it means to be. Right. But you, you see that in many ways, you know, this is a very different sense of the virtual than a virtual machine or a virtual um, memory or, you know, or virtual reality. Right. I mean, that that word itself seems quite oxymoronic. Right. You know, is a virtual reality. It's it's, it's a <laughs> fake reality. Right. Yeah. And when we apply that word then to the church, when we apply that to Christian practices, you know, virtual communion, Mm. or virtual worship mm-hmm. or a virtual bible oftentimes for the for us today we're thinking about the fake church the fake yeah. communion the fake you know so it's it's not the real thing and so that actually i, I think is is quite a bit bit of a divide but the question i i want to ask is well if it's not fake is it true <laughs> right what does it mean to be a church Okay, let's let's back up and ask what does it mean to be a church, right? Mm. There's real people involved. There's real experiences that are involved. You know, oftentimes when we think about church, we go to a church service, we listen to things. What's happening in a church service? You know, if you're in a in a bigger church, you know, you'll have well, actually most churches today will have some kind of an AV system, right? Mm-hmm. Where you are using a technology, often a digital technology of a microphone going through amplifiers, you know, and then uh, going through speakers, you know, maybe you're in an overflow room, 
And so the question is, you know, why is that real? Mm-hmm. And online church is not real. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting distinction that you've identified between the two virtual universes real. And I guess like something that I've kind of picked up on, I don't know if you've come across it to you as well, is that the idea of there's a sense of hierarchy, right? One is better than the other. The real is prioritized. The the in-person is prioritized. Um, and by definition, then it means that the virtual is lesser. The virtual is not as good. The virtual communion is not as quote unquote real is not as significant as the one that we do in person when we're taking the bread and sharing the wine and all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering, could you perhaps say a bit more about this? Have you noticed that yourself in, in your studies in digital theology, this sense of hierarchy between um, virtual versus real, particularly in the church? I think in many ways, this distinction between virtual and real seems to highlight um, a distinction between what we've done and are used to Mm. and what is new um what's scary and so yeah it's and it's scary and and i i get that it's scary Mm. right because it's it's you know it's it's digital right it's it's like what is this thing right (laughs) you know it um and and it's something that we haven't really thought through so it's like well what does it uh uh do how does it intrude on our existence now Mm. right yeah. and of course you know the um it, it's it's often then the um uh, certain hierarchies that reinforce what has always been done um one of the interesting discussions i i've found has been related to disabilities mm. that for um certain individuals uh to emphasize the need to physically come together mm-hmm. is an emphasis on the ability to come together, yeah. right? And, you know, historically, you think about a church, right? Historically, the church, you know, would have had, uh, you know, if you have you know, the Eucharist or communion, you know, uh, you, you know, save the elements and then you you bring the elements to the people mm-hmm. to participate in it because they could not, right? If, mm-hmm. if they're uh, physically ill or um, bedridden or whatever, you know, you bring the elements to their home to offer mm-hmm. it to them, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's actually something that uh, is perhaps less and less being practiced nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but then mm-hmm. that, that then reinforces a sense in which you have to be physically in the church in order to practice communion. Mm-hmm. Right. And and therefore, it actually underscores a a priority of the place, the mm-hmm. locale mm-hmm. of uh, uh, of of the church, of the, of the Christian practice. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember uh, speaking to this uh, uh, one minister um, uh, who who for a long time has been running online churches. And he was he was talking about uh, this woman who, um, you know, I was asking him, oh, do you do you do you know, do you. Um, administer online communion. He's like, oh yeah, I've been doing it for years, you know, <laughs> way before all this COVID nineteen stuff. I was like, oh really? Mm-hmm. Um, so and I asked him, well, you know, what do you what do you say to the people who say that this is you know not not real, right? This mm-hmm. is this is actually uh, uh, you know this is not real communion and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I, I you know, and he was saying, well, you know, I have I have um, a, a, a parishioner, you know, who has MS, mm-hmm. you know. And she could not, you know, get to church. And, she, you know, the first time she partook in online communion, she was in tears. Mm. 
because she was able to participate in communion. Yeah. You know, and, and so there is, I, I think um, we have to be careful when we emphasize um, uh, face-to-face and the physical and the mm-hmm. material uh, presence and, and so forth that, you know, we're not actually emphasizing something else in the mm-hmm. process, Yeah, you know. Um, That's a really good point about, you know, questions about embodiedness. And when we talk about, you know, virtual is not being embodied, like whose bodies are we talking about? Whose bodies are we prioritizing and putting, mm. you know, in our minds when we think about the importance of connecting in person? That kind of, mm. sorry, do I'm just going to jump ahead. No, um, I was thinking about uh, one of the questions that we had, which was the idea of like democracy and access, which, you know, we've been skirting around the issue a bit. So, you know, digitality can be democratizing and that's something that a lot of, um, scholars have already written about it can open up subversive spaces where you know hierarchies and traditions and institutions can be challenged um yeah at the same time there does ex- exist inequalities within digital spaces you know there are certain types and paradigms of theology or christian practices that continue to be prioritized even in digital spaces even in the global south and i was very struck when you said in your beginning that um you know when we talk about digitality a lot of the researchers in the west but and some research has been done in asia but then the question is which countries in asia the countries such as you know, that are much more technologically advanced such as singapore hong kong etc cetera, etc cetera, those places you know those are the center of our research within digital theology in asia but then there are places like in my own context myanmar where you know yes there are a lot of people who have smartphones but just the level of access is just not quite there i was wondering if you could say a bit more about access and what does that mean you know does do these questions of access or inaccess challenge the notion that digitality equals democracy or democratic access or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think this idea that um, uh, digitality is uh, or or the internet is is a de- democratizing um, uh, uh, technology. Um, I I think that that's a very um, it, it's it's an idealistic uh, okay. viewpoint mm-hmm. of what um, the internet provides. I mean, ideally, that is what the internet should do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, that pre- presumes that everybody has access, okay? Mm-hmm. And everybody is able to use and and speak into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not only that, but other people hear it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you a question. If somebody sends a tweet from the forest, but nobody <laughs> retweets it, yeah, was it really tweeted? You wait until you know more of your followers are online, and then you make the same tweet again, and you're like, "Oh, all these likes, so unprecedented! <laughs> how, how did you guys know?" <laughs> I've but, not done I mean, that, by I, the way. I'm just naturally popular. Never, all the never, time. never. No, no, yeah. no. I actually haven't. Um, okay. <laughs> but but you know you think about it you know mm-hmm. actually you know um one of the things I, I think is really funny is that or maybe not funny but um one of the things with uh uh with the pandemic and stuff you know the, the whole fact that you know this is a podcast right mm-hmm. so many people have been shifting towards um these online platforms podcasts uh twitter mm-hmm. um tiktok um youtube and all all these different technologies right and they're 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 shifting to it why because they they're saying well we can't do anything else mm-hmm. you know we're just stuck at home you know so uh, you know how do we get our voice out there right and and so everybody's you know tr- 
trying to use these new technologies. Um, and you see lots of academics on Twitter all of a sudden. You know, I was like, wow, you know, all these academics all of a sudden have a Twitter account. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know you had a Twitter account. <laughs> I thought, you know, theology and world Christianity, that intersection, there's like no Twitter, mm. you know, activity in world Christianity or, or you know, the, theology, there's there's some, but uh, <laughs> but the point is that, you know, the, the you know, all, all these people are all of a sudden using it. But the thing is, is anybody actually listening? on the other end right and you know if you think about if you think about how um how all these you know academics now have to switch out and try to figure out how to present themselves on social media mm. versus like you know my uh 20-something yeah. uh cousin who's like a social media influencer right yeah. and like has like instagram and is like doing these oh videos and is like you know are they you know, all this stuff yeah, totally. You know, and 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 you know, and then I have I you know, I I got the I have a friend who's uh uh who's who's uh daughter, you know, who's a uh, 9-year-old daughter is doing like these Instagram things on like uh book reviews of of children's books, right? And Aww. she's like it gets all these followers, you know, and and the mm-hmm. authors are like chiming in, "Oh, mm. you you've mentioned my thing." And, and it's like but an academic cannot figure out <laughs> 280 characters, right? But to be fair, and you think about nine-year-olds are much cuter and more appealing than academics talking about. This is true. This trilogy. is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. And but but that's that's part of the point, right? So so how do you build up a following and all this stuff? You know, it, it's not you know I, I don't think this podcast is about you know the techniques of of digitality, but but the point is that um, it's not simply a matter of the access Mm. access is part of that but it's also about the versatility within that and one of the things i i I think you know when when we think about um you know this this whole concept of social media influencer i don't know you know uh, you know my wife and i we keep talking about how is it that people are are professional YouTubers. What does that mean, mm-hmm. right? You know, somehow they've monetized enough to make a living, right? Oh, they earn and, a lot. Oh, yeah. They earn tons, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like, you know, and who is this guy, right? Or, the you know, this <laughs> random person, right? You know, but somehow they... But because they have a particular type of charisma, mm. right? Which in some ways overthrows the more traditional senses yes. of authority, mm, right? Yeah. And so, you know, whether, you know, whether we, we think authority is, uh, you know, academics always think they have authority, right? So, you know, whether we think, you know, academics have authority because of all the knowledge that they've built up and all the books they've written and all these different things, it means nothing compared mm-hmm. to my friend's nine-year-old daughter, yes. right? <laughs> Who's an influencer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, th- 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 you know, so it's, it's it's about the charisma and and the the attraction that that exists there. Um, so you know there there's a question of access. You know whether or not people have the ability to get online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a question of uh, how attractive um, mm-hmm. online uh, profile somebody has. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in in many ways, you know, social media has highlighted the the ugliness of a lot of people as well, which is which is actually quite an unfortunate uh, mm-hmm. reality. And you know, we we could talk about you know different elections, you know, mm-hmm. around the world, and and mm-hmm. you know the 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 influence that that people have used uh, digital technologies to shift uh, voter opinions and and so yeah. forth in right. in whatever way, you know, good or bad or whatever, right? 
um, we, we could talk about even you know um, uh, COVID nineteen, right? And and the way that different um, groups of people have get news about COVID nineteen from their own sort of traditional routes, right? It may be certain languages that they're following and certain um, uh, uh, news uh, um, uh, feeds that they follow. And so, you know, this is why, you know, in in, uh, in the UK, for instance, you have different populations that are resistant against the vaccine because they think that, you know, there's there's pork involved, you know, yeah. or, you know, in, in, in the creation of a vaccine or human um, uh, fetuses that are involved, you know, and, and so... It's it's a difference of sources of information and all all these different things. So so, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's a much more complex picture um, than just to say that the internet or digitality democratizes. I I, I, mm-hmm. I think it a lot of it ends up um, being um, uh, those who are 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 um, loudest and most attractive mm. in in being loud. Um, who you know, already and, have the access. <laughs> Yeah, and who have the access? I mean, you know, you think about it. Also, you know, it's it's probably those who are able to make a more polished uh, yeah. podcast or 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 you know YouTube video or whatever. If I were to connect this to like theology and world Christianity, right? Uh, I I kind of think of um, a similar scenario in which uh, a local a local church leader, a local Christian leader, has less authority compared to the slick YouTube. YouTuber sermons that you find on YouTube. And um, I guess, um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's one of the ways in which this inequalities uh, is played out, that the local, more contextualized, more aware of the particular situation, and yet he doesn't get the kind of attention that uh, mm-hmm. he should be getting, uh, he or she should be getting, uh, compared to the the slick, the um, the productions that are made from a certain part of the world <laughs> that gets more airtime. We're so, just skirting around the fact that we all hate <laughs> mega churches here. <laughs> well, it's not just the mega churches, I think. But yeah. <laughs> but positively, I think that uh, digitality has some kind of, I guess we could say in, in a way that it allows a different kind of uh, preference or different kind of media to be prioritized. Like you said, it's not just the books that matter these days. Mm. It's orality, for example, or mm. it's dance performances. Uh, these days, uh, two years, even two years back, when I was trying to research about Roman Christianity, I could find very few stuff online. But now with COVID-19, there's more sermons, mm. there's more oral culture going on, there's more folk songs being uh, transferred into YouTube. And for me, I see that as a huge improvement Um so yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of when you thought when we were talking about democratizing effect of uh, digitality. Yeah, what does maybe te- demo- Yeah, sorry. sorry. I was gonna say, yeah, what does digital technology mean for indigenous forms of Christianity for people on the ground, so to speak? I mean, I think one of the interesting questions that plagues me a lot, in many ways, is how does a form of Christianity or Christian uh, practice when it's, uh, you know, done without the digital, how does it translate into the digital? Mm. Right. So when we're talking about orality, the more performative uh, aspects of 
let's say, you know, preaching or, or of, of dance or singing and all, all things, these things, right. Um, you know, let's take the, 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 you know, preaching, for example, you know, in, in, um, in certain churches, you know, certain traditions would, would have more of a call and response type of a, right. um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, preaching, um, practice, right. How, what, do, what happens when you go digital? It's it's a call and a raise hand on Zoom. silent yeah yeah it's digital you know hands and you know all, all these different things you know, you know and, and 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 it it actually changes then how we respond right when the call comes how do we respond back right mm. and if if you know for instance we're, we we don't have internet in our homes or we're in a coffee shop or whatever you know do we respond you know in a coffee shop right mm. you know because now we're we're shifted to a different location we're no longer in the midst of and you know how do we what is uh how do we understand corporate singing right mm. when it's really um you know one person or or whatever you know being broadcasted to you and you know, you are sitting maybe on your couch, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to a pew, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe you know, you're 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 lounging on 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 the floor or whatever, right? And in a much more casual position, and it's like, oh, now I have to respond somehow, you know, mm-hmm. and and sing along somehow. But actually, I'm just singing by myself. It feels mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and so you know, people have experimented with the, uh, the technology and and try to. Um, you know, maybe if you use something like Zoom or, um, you know, where you have, you know, all these different people on the screen, you know, mm-hmm. in the grid view, you know, you, you could see other people. And, and so there's a little bit more of a sense of of collective corporate singing, um, but it's not quite the same. And and, and so I think the, the, the interesting question then becomes, what does that do to that aspect of Christian practice? Mm. Um, it shifts our... Um, understanding. No, go for it. I was going to say, do you think it would lead to a more individualistic spirituality, or is it too too early on in the game to call that? Because I kind of, like, I, I, I mean, just thinking about what you've said in my own practices, attending online church, it does lead to a kind of like very solo endeavor. You know, I make an effort to sing in the quiet of my own room, own room, because otherwise it feels like. I'm just watching a performance and that's not what I want from my church experience. I don't want to be watching yeah. something. I want to be partaking in it. I mean, I think it, it, it's uh, both, it, it's one of these yes and no kind mm-hmm. of answers, right? Because, you know, in, in many ways, you know, we, we could think about how when, when I'm, um, when I'm on my mobile phone joining a church service versus being within a sanctuary, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the the sanctuary experience may, may be uh, you know to use a uh, a gaming term you know it's much more immersive you know uh, <laughs> to to be actually there within uh, the sanctuary and and you're engulfed with the sound mm. right you're engulfed with the corporate singing you know and actually you know historically that that's how church architecture was designed right that we hear and we are engulfed with, it's it's less about me hearing myself as it is hearing the reverberations uh, uh, on these gothic, you know, building uh, through these organ pipes. And, and, you know, it's more about this sort of aura of existence than it is about hearing myself or hearing a singer 
you know, and, and the, and the words. Um, so in, 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 in a sense, yes, definitely digitality does reinforce, um, certain aspects of a more individualistic, um, spirituality. Um, but you know, if, if we go back to the, this, uh, the discussion of communion, for instance, uh, that, that minister I, I mentioned earlier that was talking about, you know, uh, his, uh, parishioner, you know, um, having MS and, you know, tearing up and stuff like that. I asked him, well, don't you think online communion is, is so, so much more individuating? You know, it, is it so much, you know, it doesn't make an emphasis on the individual so much when you're doing online communion. And he's like, no, of course not. <laughs> because, you know, when, when you are on stage and you say, you know, the words of institution and say, you know, this is the body of Christ, you know, broken for you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and so forth. You know, it's, it's the, the uh, presider speaking to the congregation, right? So, Mm -hmm. so that's, that's one perspective. When you're on Zoom and you see the whole grid of the congregation gathered online and you say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, Mm -hmm. right? You are speaking into the camera to all these other parishioners mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. and so for you know what what he was uh, expressing, which which I, I think is is a great illustration, is just that that actually there are certain aspects that are reinforcing a stronger senses of collective mm-hmm. um, experience, yeah. right? Um, so so I think it, it could go both ways, but but it. it, it, it it obviously is. Uh, um, I, I think you know what the COVID experience has done is is forced us to make a, a quick switch, and so we haven't really thought about the technology in the same ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, for for people like this this minister that I mentioned, you know, he he's been doing it for you know a couple of decades, mm-hmm. right? And so he's like worked out why we should do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that uh, for him, you know, he he he's he's considered the implications of different things, yeah. um, different practices online, the limitations, mm-hmm. but also the benefits of it. Yeah, I guess it's a question of not one better than the other, but just different. It's just different yeah. aspects that get prioritized, emphasized, brought to the fore, and different aspects that get negated. Um, so instead, perhaps a more way, helpful way of thinking about it is rather than in-person is better than digital or digital is better than in-person. It's just they're different and they are they need to be different for different audiences, contexts, situations, times, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, part of the thing that we have to recognize is that I think the, the, the reason why um, Christians or Christian leaders are are hesitant about digital is because what digital does is it creates a culture Mm. and Mm. as a culture it introduces new ways of thinking of speaking of practicing of thinking of remembering it seems that digital culture that you were just mentioning kind of seems to function on popular appeal on sensationalism consumerism slick productions things that are clickbaity etc etc and like you know, a kind of a, a certain aesthetic of Christianity um, that appeals. Um, so, do you think there is a danger within that? Um, there, there is this danger of um, this uh, sensationalism or this consumerist orientation. Um, 
But on the other hand, it's it's also something that is thrown at us, mm-hmm. right? And and in in many ways, the technologies, and I, I think this is this is one of the the great dangers of these technologies is that um, it tends to support sort of an echo chamber, yeah, right? That it is sort of reinforcing um, the things that we want it to reinforce, um, and so lots of times. My wife wants to look at my Facebook. I'm like, why are you looking at my Facebook? I was like, you know, she she you know grabs my phone and starts looking at my Facebook because she wants to see the stuff that I'm seeing. Mm. She wants to see what's different, mm. and and mm. and because she she knows that the AI is like tweaking things, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's actually quite healthy, you know. And you know, I I think you know in the the last uh, uh, couple years, um, you know. Politics has, you know, you know, I'm an American, you know, and living in the UK and politics, both in the UK and the US has been quite um, entertaining in, in some ways, uh, quite, quite polarized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I have actually very intentionally not uh, unfriended people that I disagree with. You know, I, I, I remember reading uh, recently, somebody posting something, I was like, "What in the world?" And this is like, you know, long time ago. You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew this person, you know, uh, many years ago. But but the thing was, I was like, "Well, you know, I I, I need to see that mm. because that is part of the world, mm. right? I I can't just isolate myself at, to those who agree with myself." Yeah. But it's so fun. Um, I, well, you know, well, but you see, your your trouble is, you know, everybody agrees with you, Noam. That's, so it is the biggest flaw that I have. It's huge flaw. Yes, <laughs> you know, I, I I agree with you. I agree. No, I agree. You're just oh, it happens again. Go on. Mm. But that's no, a really interesting point that you make about the echo chamber that we create within digital yeah. theology, within digital Christianity. Um, and yeah, the the way that the algorithms just work so that you know the people who agree with you. I'm talking particularly of Twitter um, and theology mm. Twitter, which I feel like we should just really have a whole episode dedicated to because I just find it so fascinating and horrifying at the same time. Um, mm. But like, yeah, the, the algorithms that function so that you only ever see things that you know you agree with. Um, and what does that mean for our you know, something that I kind of keep thinking about is like, what does that mean for my faith? Like, what does that mean for the yeah. way that I think about God? Like, does it does it just reinforce the things that I've already thought about God? Or, <clears throat> yeah. It reminds us that we don't actually have as much control as we think. Mm-hmm. Which in some ways is a very scary thing, right? Um, but that... Um, I think one of the one of the tricks of technology is that it we we presume that we have so much more opportunity. Mm-hmm. We have you know the d- democratizing question, right? I, you know, I I I cannot ask that same question about the democratizing um, aspects of the internet when we're talking about Christianity in China, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Great Firewall of China, mm-hmm. right? The greatest censorship system in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, democratizing effects of the internet. No, definitely <laughs> not. You know, um, does that mean that people don't have voices? No, well, people have voices, but it's, it's sort of curated. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but I think, you know, it's, it's things like that and things like, 
um, the the curation of uh, um, Amazon, right? To know what it is that I need to buy, right? Mm. Um, or Facebook ads or Google ads and all these different things, you know, um, and uh, or, or, you know, when I'm following um, certain um, uh, people on, on Twitter and then other, you know, similar themes or similar uh, threads, you know, come up on my feed because I'm, I'm following this person, right? Yeah. Um, in many ways, it reinforces certain, you know, things that I value, okay? But it also reminds me that uh, the picture is actually that I have less control than I actually think. Mm. That technology is not actually the the great equipper. <laughs> and, you know, if we speak about this theologically, um, you know, we, we then must step back from it and say, actually, ultimately, it is not about what I am able to do on the internet or not able to do or what these governments or um, multinationals are able to do. But ultimately, you know, it, theologically, it is God who is omniscient, om, omnipotent, you know, all, all powerful, all knowing and, and so forth. Yeah. Mm. All right, Alex, thanks so much for chatting with us today and mm. for going through these uh, questions and thoughts about digitality, about world Christianity. It's interesting to learn this side of you because we have been hearing a lot from the Chinese Christianity <laughs> and that aspect of your research. But it's great to see that passion in the side of your interest mm -hmm. and we do look forward to hearing more uh, at the your keynote speech at the Yale Edinburgh conference um, which by the way the keynote will be uploaded on YouTube um, and will be available for public and the some of a selection of the presentations will be published in the studies in World Christianity Journal and thank you so much to everyone else for joining us and for listening to this podcast uh, take care and we'll be back with the next one in a few weeks Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.